This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, your podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. This is episode 128, entitled The Early Christian View of God in Galatians. Thank you so much for joining us today at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. We are continuing our series of looking through the early letters in the New Testament to consider how God and Jesus are portrayed in light of Jewish monotheism. Some scholars have argued that early Christians elevated Jesus to be God's equal. Others have argued that Paul taught a Benetarian view of God in light of Jesus' most exalted resurrection. Richard Baucom has written extensively in attempts to suggest that Jesus was elevated in his exaltation into the identity of God. In this episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, we will look at Paul's letter to the Galatians to see how the God of Israel is portrayed. Furthermore, we will examine the person of Jesus, both before his death and after his death, to see what sort of understanding Paul gives to Jesus' person. Lastly, we will look at how God and Jesus work together to determine if Jesus has been exalted into God's identity. Galatians was written to settle problems regarding the value of faithfulness and the understanding of racial differences within the body of Christ. In addressing these issues, does Paul abandon his monotheism and depict Jesus as a second person within the Godhead? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is the Christian portrayal of God in Galatians. The noun, God, that comes from the Greek noun theos, appears 29 times in the six chapters of Galatians. And whenever God is qualified, God is always qualified as God the Father. There is no indication that God is qualified as the Son or as the Holy Spirit. Four times within Galatians, God is directly addressed as the Father. And some of the ways that God is addressed as the Father are pretty striking examples. Let's consider a few of them. In Galatians 1.1, it talks about Paul being sent through Jesus Christ and God the Father, namely, the one who raised Jesus from the dead. It's very interesting to see that distinction between God and Jesus and the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's in Galatians 1.1. In Galatians 1, 4-5, it talks about the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. So our God, according to Paul, just is the Father. 
is our God and Father, and our God is defined as having a singular pronoun, to whom be the glory forever. Our God is a single person governed by a singular pronoun. In Galatians 4.6, Paul says, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Galatians 4.6 So the children of God are spiritually inspired to cry out to God as the Father. The Spirit does not inspire Christians in Galatia to identify God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but specifically as the Father. And in doing so, they actually imitate what Jesus said about the Father in the Synoptic Gospels. More on this later. In one occurrence, God is defined as plural, but this is referencing false gods that the Gentiles used to worship. In Galatians 4.8, the Gentiles who did not know God used to serve false gods. We can see that God is the one whom Abraham believed. In Galatians 3.6, Abraham believed in the one God. In Galatians 3.8, God, who is the maker of the covenant, is defined as the one who justifies. And justification in the theology of Paul indicates the act of God who declares people as righteous, as covenant members. And the Gentiles are the ones that receive this justification because of their faithfulness. But God is the one that is described as the one who justifies them. And that makes sense because God, within the Hebrew Bible, is the maker of the covenant. Very important in regard to our conversation is what is said in Galatians 3.20. Galatians 3.20 has Paul saying that God is one person. God is a single person. Galatians 3.20 says, Now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. The Greek there, o they theos is estin, indicates that God is one person, not one thing. Is is a masculine adjective indicating that God is one person. The one person must be qualified as God, who is only described in Galatians as the Father. This is Paul reiterating what he learned from Judaism, namely that God is a single person. And the God that Paul believes in as a Christian is not someone who is more than one person. So Galatians 3.20 is a very important passage. Of course, God is the one who sent his son, and that son is someone clearly distinct from the God who sent him. Galatians 4.4. 4. God also sent the Spirit. Galatians 4.6. So God seems to be the one who is in charge. God sends the Son. God sends the Spirit. And this God was not known by the Gentiles because this God is the true God, and all other gods are false gods. 
there seems to be ample evidence to suggest that Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, held to a Unitarian view of God, where God just is the Father. This is consistent with Paul's Jewish heritage, where Judaism taught that there was only one God, and that one God is simply one single person, namely the Father. Nothing in Galatians suggests or implies that Paul the Christian believed or taught a different understanding of who the God of Israel is. The Christian God, according to Paul, is the Father alone. So having looked at how Paul understands God in the letter to the Galatians, we can now turn to see how Paul portrayed Jesus, which is our second point. Point number two is the Christian portrayal of Jesus in Galatians. So doing some word studies like we did in our previous episodes, we're able to find some interesting statistics in regard to how Jesus is emphasized within Galatians. So, 17 times in Galatians, Jesus is referred to by his given human name. He is called Jesus 17 times. Okay, But what is interesting is that he is described as the Christ 38 times, which is a massive spike in comparison to the basic label of Jesus. Now, out of those 38 times that Jesus is described as the Christ, which means the anointed king of God's kingdom, out of those 38 times, 10 of those describe a relationship between believers as being in Christ. And so you have this theology of Jesus represented by this sphere, and people are either within that sphere of redemptive activity, salvific activity, or they're not in Christ. And so Christ is a king that now represents his people with Paul's in Christ theology. Nine times, Jesus is described as Christ Jesus. Not just Jesus Christ, but Christ Jesus. And by placing Christ at the beginning of Jesus' given human name, you're emphasizing that royal anointed aspect of Jesus. He is King Jesus. And again, nine times in Galatians, Jesus is described as King Jesus. Not just Jesus the King, but swapping it around for emphatic purposes. Somewhat striking in comparison to 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Jesus is only described as the risen and exalted Lord four times. Now this makes sense because Paul needs to make the stronger argument in Galatians of the identity of those believers that are neither Jewish nor Gentile. They are now this new redefined people of God that are defined in Christ. He's not having to make the political argument that Jesus is Lord and thereby they need to stop thinking that Caesar is Lord, although this is something that Paul still believes. But it's interesting that out of those four occurrences of Jesus being called Lord, half of those indicate our Lord Jesus. It is still argued quite often 
by some people that think that because Jesus is called Lord, that must mean that early Christians thought that Jesus was Yahweh. But this could not be further from the truth. The fact that Christians referred to Jesus as our Lord indicates that this is a title and not a name. How do we know this? Answer, because there is no our Yahweh in the Old Testament. Yahweh is never described as our Yahweh. Yahweh is God's personal name, and the Lord is a title given to Jesus, according to Paul. So Jesus is our Lord, precisely because he is the Lord that has been raised and exalted to God's right hand, according to Psalm 110.1, but also because Jesus has taken over those roles that were formerly ascribed to the Roman emperor, to Caesar. Caesar was Lord, but now Jesus is the true Lord, our Lord. What else can we say about Jesus in Galatians? Well, Jesus is the one who died. Jesus was the one who was among the dead, and he was raised by God the Father. Chapter 1, verse 1. Jesus gave himself for our sins, according to Galatians 1.4. He gave himself. And by using that singular pronoun in regard to Jesus, it indicates that Paul believed that Jesus was a single self. He wasn't someone that had two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. He wasn't someone that had his human nature die, but the divine nature stayed alive. No, Jesus gave himself. He is only one self because, like every other person, Jesus is only a single person. That is in Galatians 1.4. Now, although it's disputed on grammatical grounds, I mean, goodness, what controversial in church is not disputed, I think it is almost certain that Galatians 2.16 speaks of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Some translations might say faith in Jesus Christ, but the genitive construction and the theology of Paul as a whole and the consistency of how 2.16 reads strongly indicates to me and to a variety of scholars that Paul is referring to Jesus' own faithfulness, the faithfulness that Jesus possessed in his ministry, in his loyalty, and his obedience to God. And Galatians 2.16 speaks about Jesus' own faithfulness, and it does so twice in that verse. Paul also picks it up in chapter 2, verse 20. If this indicates that Jesus had faith in God, then it indicates Jesus as someone who had a loyal and humble relationship with the true God. God, of course, doesn't need to have faith in anybody, but Jesus had faith in God, the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Now, there is a disputed passage where some people think that Paul regards Jesus as a heavenly angel. Maybe you're not aware of this, but in Galatians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul says, That which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Galatians 4, 14. So here, the Galatians received Paul as if he was this angel, and then 
Paul qualifies that as if he was Christ Jesus himself. Now, the Greek word for angel is angelos. And angelos in Greek could refer either to a heavenly angel or it could refer to an ordinary human messenger. Okay, so we got two options. It could refer to a heavenly angel or a basic messenger, an ordinary messenger. So what is Paul saying here? Is he saying that Jesus Christ is a heavenly angel or a messenger? That's the real question that's going on in chapter 4, verse 14. We might have a clear reference to how Paul understands angels earlier in Galatians, where Paul warns his readers that even if an angel from heaven should preach to them a different gospel message, those angels are going to be accursed. Chapter 1, verse 8. So it would seem that when Paul wants to speak of heavenly angels rather than ordinary messengers, Paul qualifies them in the way that we see in chapter 1, verse 8, that they are angels from heaven. But Jesus is not qualified as a angelos from heaven in Galatians 4.14. He is simply an angelos. And this leads me to believe, among other reasons, that Paul is regarding Jesus as a basic messenger, not necessarily a heavenly, angelic messenger. So the verse would read, as the Galatians did not despise or loathe Paul, but they received him as a messenger of God, as if it was Jesus Christ himself. So it seems quite unlikely that Paul is calling the Jewish Messiah a heavenly angel, although this has not stopped eager interpreters who believe in Jesus' literal preexistence to argue that Jesus is a heavenly angel. But there's some discussion that could be had there in chapter 4, verse 14. Moving on, Jesus is regarded as the Son of God, specifically the Son of God who, quote, gave himself up for me, end quote. Galatians 2.20. In other words, the Son of God dies, according to Paul. Paul does not seem to have a doctrine of two natures in regard to Christ, as if, like what some people think, Son of God is just a way of talking about Jesus' divine nature, and Son of Man is the human nature. For Paul, Jesus gave himself, all of himself, as the Son of God on Paul's behalf. And Paul never qualifies the death of Jesus as something that only partially happened or didn't really happen. For Paul, Jesus, as the Son of God, truly died. We can also note here that Son of God, for Paul, is not a title for Jesus that indicates that he is divine in the same way that the Father is divine. No, the Son of God is someone who died. Paul highlights the birth of Jesus as a decisive moment in God's salvation history. And in doing so, Paul indicates that Jesus was brought into existence. Look at what it says in chapter 4, verse 4. 
Paul says, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Chapter 4, verse 4. The phrase, born of a woman, was a typical phrase used even within the New Testament to refer to the birth of a child, like we see in Matthew 11, verse 11, where John the Baptist is born of a woman. Just an ordinary way of speaking about birth. Some scholars have argued that Paul depicts a progression of events in chapter 4, verse 4. So again, in chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And some people think that this is a progression of events. God sent his son first, then he was born of a woman, then he was born under the law. This would suggest that the son pre-existed in heaven alongside the father prior to his birth. The argument goes that God first sent his son, then he was born of a woman via the incarnation, and that he was born under the law. However, there are problems with this argument. James Dunn has argued, persuasively in my opinion, that being born of a woman and being born under the law would not be read as successive events, but rather as events that happened at the same time. When Jesus was born, he was born a Jew. Therefore, it is likely that the phrase born of a woman and born under the law are to be read as things that happened at the same time, not as one event that happened prior to the other. And if this is the case, then it seems very unlikely that Paul is giving successive events, whereas God sending forth the Son would have occurred prior to the Son's birth. Furthermore, we have evidence of God sending or commissioning special human agents from their births, without any suggestion that these human agents pre-existed in heaven. Consider for a moment the calling of the Hebrew prophet Jeremiah. Look at what God says in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah 1, verse 5. In this passage, God commissions a special human prophet for a specific purpose. But there's no indication that Jeremiah was alive and conscious before his birth when God consecrated him and appointed him. So there's pretty good evidence to suggest that Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 is describing the commissioning by God in regard to the Son, and not to some literal sending from heaven in order to become incarnate as a human being. I think the best reading of Galatians 4.4 indicates that God commissioned his Son at the moment of his birth, when he was born of a woman, that means he was brought into existence by a woman, 
and at that time he was born under the law as a Jew. In sum, Paul regards Jesus as the crucified, risen, and exalted king. Jesus is most frequently described as the Christ, which is a title indicating one who is anointed by God to rule. Being called the Christ naturally distinguishes Jesus from the God who anointed him. Paul regards the death of Jesus as something that really happened, indicating that Jesus was mortal. God, of course, is immortal, so God cannot die. But Jesus did, in fact, die. So Jesus is not an immortal God. Jesus received his immortality when God raised Jesus from the dead. And on that note, let's look at how God and Jesus collaborate. Our third point today is God and Jesus working together in Galatians. Paul is quite open about depicting the risen Jesus as working with the only true God in collaboration. Paul regards himself as an apostle who was sent by Jesus Christ and by God. Chapter 1, verse 1. So both God and Jesus are involved in Paul's missionary work, and these two are distinguished. Greetings are sent by both God and Jesus, and interestingly enough, not sent by the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 1.3, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. While Jesus is described as the Son of God, chapter 2, verse 20, Paul argues that we are all sons of God through faithfulness, chapter 3, verse 26. In other words, the sonship that Jesus possesses in relationship to God is also available in some sense to faithful Christians. Jesus is the Son of God, and we can also be adopted into God's family and be sons and daughters of God. The cry to God as, quote, Abba, Father, that Christians proclaim is the very same cry that Jesus offered to God in the Synoptic Gospels, specifically in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus, it would seem, speaks to God as the Father alone. And we are motivated by the Spirit to address God just as the Father, in the same way that Jesus addressed God. So the Spirit influences believers to address God as the Father because Jesus did this first. Of course, since the resurrection of Jesus is crucial to Paul's theology, Paul repeatedly indicates that God raised Jesus, thereby distinguishing the two and highlighting their difference in power. God is the one who woke Jesus up from the dead, and Jesus was the mortal in need of God to raise him back to life. Chapter 1 and verse 1 talks about God the Father who 
raised Jesus from the dead. And the Greek is a lot more specific. It says, to a urantos afton ek nekron, the one who woke him up out of the dead ones. God is the one who woke Jesus up from among those who are dead. In Galatians 1.4, it talks about Christ who gave himself up on behalf of our sins. Chapter 1, verse 4. Paul is so convinced of the death of Jesus and his association with him that Paul can say in chapter 2, verse 20, that I have been crucified with Christ. Paul goes on to say that I no longer live, Christ lives in me. So by saying that Paul no longer lives, he demonstrates his belief that when Christ was dead, Christ was no longer living. Later in chapter 2, verse 20, Paul talks about the Son of God who, quote, loved me and gave himself up for me, end quote. The Son of God died and gave himself up on behalf of of Paul's sins. In the next verse, chapter 2, verse 21, Paul says, if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. This indicates that for Paul, Christ did die. And that if covenant membership comes through observance of the law of Moses, then Jesus died for nothing. But the fact remains that Jesus completely died. And in the next verse, chapter 3, verse 1, Paul talks about the Galatians before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Chapter 3, verse 1. We're not sure here if this was in regard to Paul's vivid preaching or if he had an object lesson where he drew Jesus on the cross, but it's very clear that this was preached as a primary component of their original faith. Jesus died. Jesus was crucified. And this indicates that as a mortal who had died, he was in need of God's help to raise him from the dead. Furthermore, Paul regards the new covenant people of God, who are neither Jew nor Greek, to be in Christ. That is, identified as the new humanity created in the resurrected and exalted anointed king. Paul regards those who are in Christ as the Israel of God. Chapter 6, verse 16. This new Israel, qualified as the Israel of God, consists of those who have identified with their king, the anointed Jesus, in his death and his resurrection. And this transforms their identity. So Jesus as the king who represents his people, transforms those who are Jews and Gentile believers into a new humanity described by Paul as the Israel of God. God and Christ are working together. So much is said about God and Jesus, but all the evidence indicates that Paul believed and taught that God is still one person the Father. Jesus is God's Son, and the Son died as the anointed King. God raised Jesus from the dead. There's really no indication that Jesus is another person in the Godhead, or that the God of Israel 
is a plurality of persons rather than a Unitarian God. Furthermore, there is no hint or suggestion that Jesus has been so exalted at his resurrection that he is now in a transcended state that is elevated into the identity of God. God is still, after the exaltation of Jesus, regarded as the Father, and Jesus is still the Son of God, and they remain two distinct persons. In conclusion, we have observed that Galatians was written by Paul to correct a pivotal misunderstanding that arose in regard to how the body of Christ should view themselves in light of faith and racial identity. In doing so, Paul does not alter or transform the early Christian understanding of God from how God was understood in Second Temple Judaism. We first noted that God, according to Paul, just is the Father. God is one person, a single self, and God is only qualified as the Father. This God raised Jesus and commissioned Jesus in his salvific mission. Second, we noted that Jesus is always distinguished from the one God. Jesus was mortal, and Paul constantly refers to Jesus dying. Jesus is highlighted as the Christ throughout Galatians, namely as God's anointed king. Believers in Christ identify with his death and resurrection, thus acknowledging what happened to this Israelite king. Paul regards Jesus as the Son of God, and Paul does not seem to think that this title indicates one who is divine in the same way that the Father is divine. Furthermore, Paul says that Jesus was born of a woman, using terminology that is used elsewhere to indicate basic births of children to their mother. Lastly, the one true God, the Father, and his Son, Jesus, work together in their current roles. Both God and Jesus send Paul as an apostle. Since Jesus is stressed in Galatians as being the Christ, this indicates that God anointed Jesus for his messianic task. Both God and Jesus send greetings to the Galatians. God and Jesus help redefine the believing community in non-racial terms. Most importantly, God is the one who raised the deceased Jesus from the dead. There's nothing in Galatians that exhibits Trinitarian theology or suggests that God is anything greater than a single self. Paul's letter to the Galatians is best described as a result of his biblical Unitarian theology. Join us next week as we look at 1 Corinthians to see how the risen Jesus is portrayed alongside the only true God of Jewish monotheism. Please consider supporting the Biblical Unitarian Podcast as it aims to promote the truths about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. 
You can support the podcast for free by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends and by writing an honest review on iTunes. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you may check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. Special thanks to Dustin Williams for post-production and for editing expertise. Appreciate everybody listening to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks take care.